The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents. To find out more about this talk show or other talk shows broadcasting on KUCI, log on to our website at KUCI.org or check out the latest program guide. Are you sick of idiots on the road? Well, so are we, which is why we'd like to give you all a few tips for driving in California. First, if you're slowing down to take a right turn, please, we beg you, move into the bike lane if there's no one there, of course. This is so that the cars behind you don't have to slow down. Second, if you're on the freeway, try and stay out of the right lane when people are merging. This streamlines the merging process and helps everyone to get to their destination faster. Finally, please don't get into the far left lane and then drive slowly. Don't be that person. Nobody likes that person. Thank you. It takes 12 years to create a graduate. It takes about the same time to create a dropout. The difference between a child becoming one or the other could be you. Studies prove that reading to a child regularly dramatically improves reading skills. And kids who read well by third grade are four times as likely to graduate. So United Way is calling for one million volunteers over the next three years. We're asking you to step up, make a pledge, tutor a child who needs help, mentor a kid who needs someone on their side, volunteer to read to children, make a difference. Because when a child advances, we all advance. Entire communities improve. The path to success or failure starts long before graduation day. And the difference between a graduate and a dropout could be you. Be a reader, tutor or mentor. Give, advocate, volunteer. Live United. Take the pledge. Go to liveunited.org now. Brought to you by United Way and the Ad Council. J'ai décidé de me faire du bien, de me faire couler un bain, d'étaler toutes les photos de moi, de les commenter de haut en bas. Je vais m'envoyer des fleurs, me parler que. Hi there, good morning. You're listening to Get the Funk Out. I'm your host, Janine. That was a little sample off one of my favorite CDs, Women of the World Acoustic. Mais envoyeur de fleurs. Very pretty song. I bring flowers to myself. I believe that's the translation. Uh, we'll listen a little bit more of that later on. But first up, I have a very special guest, Dave Robinson Simon. He's the author of Metanomics. And if you didn't see my post on Facebook this morning and yesterday, Metanomics is actually the first book to explore the unseen economic forces that drive our animal food system and the strange ways these forces affect our spending, our eating, health, prosperity, and longevity. Among other things, consumers have largely lost the ability to decide for ourselves what and how much to eat. Instead, these decisions are made for us by the meat and dairy producers to control our buying choices with artificially low prices, misleading messaging, and heavy control over legislation and regulation. We're going to learn what makes this bizarre system tick and how it can be fixed. It's my pleasure to welcome to this week's show, Dave Robinson-Simon. Hi, Dave. How are you? I'm fine. How are you? Great. I'm glad we could make this happen. Your book, uh, Metanomics, sounds so interesting. Thank you. How did you... Now, you're an attorney, correct? Yes. How did this uh, become an interest of yours? Well, a few years ago, I sent an email to a bunch of friends, which had a link in it to a video 
of some factory farming um, sequences. And some of the imagery in the video was, was a little uh, disturbing for me, and I was curious what my friends would think about it. All right. And I got back sort of a range of responses, but the one that, that, that challenged me the most was from somebody who was a, a, a dean of a major law school, uh, and, and he was also a law professor. And he said that while he also was disturbed by the imagery in the, in the video, mm-hmm. he thought that it was probably illegal and for that reason, it was probably uh, exceptional, anomalous, and essentially irrelevant. Because after all, if something is, is illegal, it's only going on in, you know, very uh, incidentally, and it doesn't rise to the level of a systemic problem. I didn't know at the time how to respond to that. Uh-huh. I didn't know if that was accurate or not. But be, because I'm a lawyer, I you know, sometimes look into some of these things, and I, and I did some sure. research. And what I found actually shocked me, and that is that, in fact... Uh, virtually all of the uh, abusive behaviors that, that we see on, uh, in, in these videos that come out of factory farms are completely legal because oh. every, every state's anti-cruelty statute in this country has been modified to allow cruelty to farm animals. That's awful. Yes, it's, it's crazy. And so... Um, I talk about that a lot in the book, but but that got me to that, that that led me to understand sort of this larger principle that that producers of meat and dairy have surrounded themselves with legal protections like that. That's only one example. There are there are many others, and these legal protections provide a very valuable economic benefit. It allows these producers to keep their costs low, and it allows them to offload. Uh, a substantial portion of their costs onto the rest of us. And that's what got me interested in this particular book. So I saw in this video that I posted on Facebook, it was a two-minute uh, video, which was great, by the way. Uh, basically, you know, the real cost of a Big Mac might be, you know, $4, but the truth is it's 13 Yeah, and that's, that's because, uh, based on the math that I show in the book, for every $1 of retail sales of animal foods, about $1.70 of costs, is offloaded onto consumers and taxpayers in this country. Hmm. And look, it's not like you're even eating anything healthy. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I would certainly agree. There, you know, there, there, there's a, in the last 30 years, a significant body of clinical evidence has emerged that shows that meat and dairy, uh, uh, depending how you interpret the, the studies, either cause or are, are at a minimum um, provide an enhanced risk for cancer, diabetes, heart disease, Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, gout, multiple sclerosis, acid reflux, uh, and a variety of other diseases. And I'm, talk- I'm not talking about, you know, crazy, you know, off-fringe journals. I'm talking about the New England Journal of Medicine, the American sure. Journal of Clinical Nutrition, and prestigious um, peer-reviewed well-read journals like those. You know, it's interesting. I didn't have a chance to share with you offline, but I grew up eating junk food. It was like this bad love affair with McDonald's. And, you know, I was just so addicted. And it was like this comfort thing with a lot of people. You know, it's like you crave it. You you, you, right. drink, you, you eat your cheeseburgers and your French fries. And I was drinking Coke that wasn't Diet Coke. And, and, um, and then I actually had depression. I remember, like, Sundays, I'd be so exhausted and just not in a good place. And I never knew that it was what I was eating. Yeah. I, and I, you know, I'm ashamed to admit I was the same way. I'm, I'm 50. And for 44 years mm-hmm. of my life, 
I stuffed my body with bacon double cheeseburgers and right. egg McMuffins and stuff like that. And yeah, I, I felt the same. And I, I, I never really thought about what I was putting in my body. Not at all. And it became this addiction. I, you know, I tell people it's like you just crave this stuff. It's comfort. I mean, now I certainly don't eat like that at all. I'm a vegetarian, but it's a tough thing to break for people that are so addicted to junk food and whatever kind of bad food. You, it's a slow process, but you have to start somewhere. You do, but you know, the nice thing for, for uh, I continue to be something of a fan of junk food. Um, there's a lot of great <laughs> vegan junk food out there. It, it tastes great. Vegan it, junk food? It's, yes. Uh, you know, for example, there's something I love at, at, at one of the local vegan restaurants called the Oklahoma Bacon Cheeseburger. Ooh, what's um, in that? It's I think it's a, it's some some seitan meat with vegan cheese mm-hmm. and some tempeh bacon and I tell you it is delicious and the same kind of comfort you get from eating a, a real bacon double cheeseburger you get from right. from eating one of these vegan burgers. Is and this native foods by any chance? Yeah, native, native foods. foods. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I do like that place. Yeah. So let's get back to your book a little bit. By the way, did you see over the weekend the meat recall? Oh no, I didn't. Oh, yeah. In Florida, there's been a tremendous meat recall. It's, it's on my Facebook page if you uh, search for Janine Bernstein. Oh, look for that. Ugh, it's just, you know, if it isn't chicken, it's, it's a hamburger. Yeah, I, I, I typically have mixed feelings about that because it's, it's sad that all those animals died for no reason and their carcasses right. just get thrown away. But it's nice to have, it's nice for the public to be made aware of the sort of a constant issue of food safety related to factory farming. Right. Exactly. I'm just pulling up. More than 8.7 million pounds of beef products are being recalled after a company processed diseased animals without a full federal inspection. Wow. Yep. And as you said, look, I mean, either they were sick animals mixed in with healthy animals, but, the, you know, it's, it's disgusting either way. Right. So tell me about the reception of your book. Well, it's been, I guess, uh, on one level, I look at the reviews. The reviews mm-hmm. have all been positive. I think it's been reviewed uh, seven or eight times, and, and those mm-hmm. have all been nice. You know, Veg News called it riveting, and Publishers Weekly called it provocative and persuasive. Mm-hmm. And in particularly in the, in the vegan, vegetarian, sort of plant-based foods, nutrition-centered communities, it's been, it's been very, very um, strongly received. And in the mainstream community, which I'm still working on, which takes a little while to get um, right. to get a book of this nature um, sort of on the radar, uh, it's gradually being being well received. So yes. I, I think in general, it's um, I'm happy with 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 its progress. That's great. Well, for somebody that's a, a vegan or a vegetarian, it's kind of you know reaffirms their commitment to what the lifestyle. That's right. But it's like I said earlier, it's not easy to give up, you know, eating meat. You don't just wake up one day and say, I'm done. Although some people could. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, I actually did that myself, but it, it, that's not the easiest way to do it, no. No, it's not. You know, and then also there's fallacies. Uh, I'll have people say, well, how do you get your protein? How can you possibly get enough protein? Well, there's, you know, beans and tofu and vegetables and all that. You just you have to do your research and do your homework. Right. And And I think to some extent... This country suffers from sort of a collective delusion about about the amount of protein that we need. Mm-hmm. American American adults eat about twice the level of protein that the USDA recommends, and a typical person doesn't really even know what his or her body needs. I, my body probably needs 40 grams of protein a day, and I can get that from maybe three peanut butter and jelly sandwiches on wheat bread. All right. But think about cows and think about... Horses. These are these are animals that are large. 
that are bulky, and they get all of their protein from grasses, typically, if, at least if they're eating what their native diet says they should be. And, yes. and they, don't, they don't wander around thinking, man, I, I, need, some, <laughs> I need some tofu, <laughs> tofu I need some man. nuts, I need something, <laughs> I, need some, I need a protein source. They just eat yeah. what comes naturally, and they, get, they, get, they have healthy bones as a result. That's so true. What a good point. What are some of the takeaway points from your book for some of the listeners? Well, we, we talked a little bit about the, the externalized cost or the hidden costs of meat and dairy production. And, and because my book is the first one to actually add those up, I'm, I'm fond of talking about those numbers. Okay. So just to put things in perspective, each year in this country, the, the meat and dairy industry sell about $250 billion worth of product. That's the retail wow. value. And the costs that are offloaded onto society associated with those sales are about $414 billion. That, that $414 billion, to put that in perspective, that is about one quarter of Canada's gross domestic product, and that is about one half of what we spend on Social Security in this country each year. It's a, it's a massive number. Massive. Yes. Massive. And you have some facts. And by the way, if you're just tuning in, we're talking with Dave Robinson, Simon, author of Metanomics, and your website is metanomics.com. I love your um, link to shock numbers. Yeah, I've always been a fan of the Harper's Index. I, I've read Harper's Magazine for a long time, mm-hmm. and I and I wanted to create my own index <laughs> that, uh, <laughs> that was that was modeled after the Harper's Index. But yeah, some of those numbers are quite shocking, aren't they? The average market value of a cow in the north north central United States two hundred and forty five dollars. Average cost to raise a cow in that region four hundred ninety eight. The amount U.S. taxpayers spend yearly to subsidize subsidize meat and dairy thirty eight billion. Big number. And to put that number in perspective, that's something like half of what all states spent on unemployment coverage for unemployed workers last year. And we just hand that, um, sort of like welfare payments, um, we hand that to, to big agriculture in this country to, to sell us more meat and dairy. Mm. Uh, tell me about fish, because, you know, sometimes people are confused about what type of fish to eat and what's safe, what's not. <sighs> that's a really complicated topic. And, and one of the I points know. that I make in the book is that some of, some of the advice on this subject can be very confusing. You know, I, I, I quote the title for, for one article, mm-hmm. uh, something like, fish is good, fish is bad. And what I point to in the book is studies that show that virtually all fish that are caught uh, in, in American waters contain both mercury and PCBs. Uh, the bigger the fish, typically the higher the concentration because these, these chemicals move up the food chain. And so a large fish like tuna are likely to have more than um, smaller fish. But there, there is no level of, of mercury that is safe for human consumption. And so by definition, by eating virtually any fish that is, that is caught in the wild, people are consuming mercury and putting that in their bodies. I recently I stumbled across a company that was trying to promote fish oil, and they gave out a little card, and it said, well, if you have wild salmon, that has a lower level of mercury versus, let's say, mahi-mahi or Chilean sea bass. That could certainly be, but when you, when you, when you consider that there's no level of mercury that's safe, yes. you know, to what extent does that give you comfort? You're, it doesn't. One, one is putting a toxin in one's body by eating any of it. It doesn't. Yeah. I know. I, you know, I'm I'm questioning a lot of things lately. You know, as you get older, and you, you think about, I even posted this thing about how meat is the new tobacco. Scare. Yeah, I saw that. I posted that too, actually. Oh, yeah. you did. And that's really true. And I think I think at some point, someone just emailed me a question about this ten minutes before I before this um, call. Mm-hmm. 
I think at some point in the future, we will see the same sorts of lawsuits brought against meat and dairy producers that, that have successfully forced big tobacco in this country to, to pay about $400 billion in settlements to state Medicaid programs over the last several decades. Because the, the clinical literature increasingly will show that, that meat and dairy are not as good for us as these producers have been claiming it is, and that, and that as people continue to suffer from disease and the, case, the situation gets worse, somebody's going to have to pay. Yes. No, I wouldn't be surprised. You know, I remember years ago hearing about sodium nitrite in hot dogs and then, you know, thinking, oh, come on, it can't be so bad. But it's a carcinogenic. Right. <laughs> and it's in deli meat, and it's, you know, it's not something I want to eat. If one eats meat, processed red meat is by far the, the least healthy and the most likely to give rise to risk of cancer and other diseases because of, because of chemicals like, like nitrates and, and nitrites and because red meat is typically higher in saturated fat and cholesterol, mm-hmm. and, and in iron, which we think of as, as, an, as an important healthy nutrient, but we can often get too much of it from red meat. Oh, I didn't know that. Yep, hemi-iron can, uh, is bad for you in, in quantities. Have you seen a difference in your diet since you've given up eating meat and gotten you know, into the vegan diet? I, so I went vegan about six years ago, and as I said, I sort of did it overnight, um, which wasn't necessarily the easiest way to do it, but it certainly got it done. And I, I, I didn't do it for health reasons. I did it for, for ethical reasons because of some of the factory farming videos that I was talking about earlier. Mm-hmm. But I saw immediate changes in my health that I didn't even expect. Like what? My, my, for most of my adult life, my cholesterol hovered around 200, which is typically considered about the, the threshold for, for safe. If you go above 200, doctors say you're, you're above the safe level. Mm-hmm. After I went vegan, it started to drop uh, and has dropped consistently. And the last time I had it checked, it was 146. That's low. I mean, it sounds low. Well, and, and I've since learned that, that really the, the, the best threshold to use is, is 150 because there's a, there's a well-known study called the Framingham Heart Study. And in that study, they found that there were people who had blood cholesterol above 150 who suffered heart attacks during the course of the study, but, but nobody under, um, with blood cholesterol under 150 suffered a heart attack. So now I feel like that's, that's my new target. <laughs> mm-hmm. Uh, I also lost about 16 pounds. I was I was at the high end of the weight range for my height and weight, uh, with a body mass index of around 25. Uh, and now I'm down to a much healthier weight. I used to I used to have acid reflux that basically cured itself after I stopped eating meat and dairy. And in, in general, I feel uh, as healthy. I feel like a kid. I feel as healthy as I ever have in my life. I've got That's energy uh, and. I, you know, I, I never go to the doctor other than for once a year to get my, my cholesterol checked because I'm always curious. That's good. Uh, yeah. That's really good. And, and uh, dairy is another thing. I noticed that I eat very little to no dairy, and I really don't, I don't get sick very often at all. I mean, you know, sinus infections, I don't remember the last time I had one. That's great. And, and it's interesting you mention that because there, there are a lot of antibiotics in our, in our food, and those can contribute to antibiotic resistance and can make it difficult for us to to get better when we do get sick. And in, and furthermore, some of the colds and flus that, that are pervasive in our communities are zoonotic in origin, meaning they actually originate in farmed animals. Swine flu and bird flu are great examples. That is very interesting. I didn't know that. 
In fact, most, most of the contagious diseases that, that humans suffer from have, have their origin in, in animals. Not always farm animals, but, but, but uh, animals. Yeah. yeah. Oh, and this season, I've noticed so many people have been sick. Yeah. Uh, I was one of them. I'm, I'm better now, but yeah, about a month ago, I, I, I work in an office where people come in often, when, even when they're sick. So mm-hmm. <laughs> it's, it's and they share the love. Thanks. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my gosh. As far as uh, this book goes, are you, is there going to be another version of this, or you're, you're doing a lot of speaking engagements? What's going on with this? I am speaking a, a lot. Um, I've got, I've got uh, an engagement next weekend at, the, uh, at a sort of a prestigious nutrition weekend retreat called the McDougal Advanced Study Weekend. Uh, and Dr. McDougal is a well-known plant-based nutritionist, and there are people speaking there like T. Colin Campbell, who wrote the book The China Study. Okay. So I'm certainly... Uh, it certainly helps my credibility to be invited into a group like that. Um, as, as to another edition, yeah, you know the, the numbers the numbers change a lot, and and particularly as, as research comes out with 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 new and better numbers, uh, I'd like to update it. My 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 sense is that the numbers that I use in the book are extremely conservative. That 414 billion number that I quoted earlier, I wouldn't be surprised if if someday the research shows that that's really uh, closer to one trillion dollars. Oh, that's huge. Yeah, that is huge. By the way, do you think it's hard for men to go vegan because a lot of them are big meat eaters? And was it really hard for you? I do think it's hard, and you know, nothing worthwhile ever comes easy. I mm-hmm. guess it was hard for me. I, I was eating bacon double cheeseburgers right up until the day I went vegan. One of the things that actually makes it hard is that dairy in particular has opiates in it. Cow's milk contains opiates because cows have evolved to, to make it desirable for calves to come back to their mother over and over again to, to drink milk. It helps the calves grow quickly. And, and those opiates make cheese, for example, very addictive and hard to give up. That's so true. I was a cheeseaholic for a while, I have to confess. Oh, I was too. I was too. On the other hand, I will say that once I got over that sort of initial hump of two or three months, mm-hmm. it, it's much easier than I thought. I sort of thought, wow, this is going to really be a burden for the rest of my life. And now it's something that I don't even think about. That's it's just good. completely natural and normal. I've got a, you know, tons of, of comfort foods, as I was mentioning, that I love to eat. Pizzas and burgers. And That's good. <laughs> all kinds of great stuff. That's yeah. good. Yeah. Do you do a lot of gluten-free, too? Well, my my partner tries to be gluten free because it, it affects her in ways that that she doesn't like. Mm-hmm. So I, whenever she prepares something that's gluten free, I'm happy to eat it. Mm-hmm. But it, for me, it's not. It's it doesn't seem to affect my body adversely one way or another. So uh, I'm, you know, I'm a fan of wheat. As long as it's not genetically modified. Right. Well, this has been really informative. Is there anything else you want to share with our listeners? I mean, a lot of people, you know, they're in a funk based on what they're eating, how they're feeling. Any bit of advice? For anybody who's who's moved by any of these issues or is considering making a dietary change, it's it's really, really easy to find plant-based alternatives to every food imaginable. For milk, there's soy, almond, help, hemp, coconut. For, for cheese, there are various kinds of cheeses based on some based on nuts, some based on cassava root. These are cheeses that melt; that you can put them on pizza. They they taste great. They get stringy, and and for for every kind of meat imaginable, there's a substitute. Uh, you know, yes. made of soy, wheat, um, potato, even, uh, and the stuff tastes great. There's no cholesterol. There's no hormones. 
It's, you, you can look for the non-GMO version, so you know you're not putting anything harmful in your body. And it's, uh, it's an easy way to make a transition, even for one day a week. That's great. Thank you so much for calling into the show. Again, we've been talking with Dave Robinson-Simon, and his website is metanomics.com. Thanks very much for having Thanks. me. Thanks. Have a great day. You too. Bye-bye. If you've missed any part of this interview with Dave, it'll be up on my blog, which is getthefunkoutshow.kuci.org in about uh, an hour after my show, so about 11 o'clock. Uh, coming up next, we have Luann Kahn. She's going to be calling in from Philadelphia. She has a very, very interesting backstory. She has this book. I have a copy here. It's called I Dare Me, How I Rebooted and Recharged My Life by Doing Something New Every Day. And she's going to be calling into the show. It's a really, really entertaining book. She is a cancer survivor. She was going through a point in her life where she was in a funk, basically. She was stuck. And her daughter helped inspire her to do something new and different every single day and she did a blog about it and I believe she shot some video about it so she's going to be coming on in just a few minutes we're going to take a short break and then we'll be back with Luann Khan. and uh, if you have any questions you want to email in to Luann uh, you can send them to Janine J-A-N-E-A-N-E at K-U-C-I dot org or you can uh, look me up on Facebook all right we're going to take a quick break we'll be back this is K-U-C-I 88.9 FM in Irvine J'ai décidé de me faire du bien, de me faire couler un bain, d'étaler toutes 